0: Dory One, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life, so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Today on the show, I have Dan Evans. He served in United States Marine Corps from 2003 to 2016, and he left after 13 years as a gunnery sergeant. He currently lives in San Antonio with his wife and three beautiful kids. He just wrapped up his career at USAA and is getting to start his career as chief marketing officer at N2 Growth. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks, Ben. Pleasure to be here today. Go ahead and describe a little bit what your family looks like and any gaps in the intro that you want to share with us. Oh, man, I've got, uh, you know, a
1: a beautiful wife and uh, three kids. Um, And for me, they are uh, the foundation for everything that I do, every choice that I made. uh, They are the reason why I uh, left the Marine Corps at 13 years as a gunnery sergeant, uh, which many people told me I was absolutely crazy. It's like, what are you doing, man? You're, uh, you're forgetting. on the home stretch. Yeah, you're on the home stretch. Just do another seven years. And I'm like, I, listen, I'm not going to have a family uh, to come home to if I do another seven years doing this. So for me, uh, you know, I had served my country. I had done well. I picked up gunnery sergeant at nine. Uh, I had a good run, you know, four years as an E7. Um, I was done. You know, it was time to move on. It was time to create, uh, you know, the work-life integration that I felt I needed to, um, just, just to be there for my kids. I had missed a lot of that, uh, being on, on recruiting duty. I'd spent nine of my 13 years in recruiting. And even though I was working around the corner, uh, from our house, I had missed those birthdays. I had missed those anniversaries. Um, I was, was it a mindset
0: it, issue or was it just the way that the recruiting it was, world is? It was,
1: it was the disgusting inefficiencies of the Marine Corps recruiting command that they allowed to have happen, that they allowed uh the leadership allowed uh you know this this mismanagement, this lack of efficiency to to occur, you know. And for me, that created an opportunity. Um where I learned how and and pioneered how to use social media to uh, enhance the recruitment process because I I, I couldn't let
0: you don't have to and really work for every single person that walks in that door.
1: Well, you know it was still a lot of work, but I think at the end of the day, I felt responsible for my Marines, and I couldn't sit there at 9 p.m. at night looking at my Marines and being okay with the fact that they didn't have appointments the next day. And not only that, there was a family at home waiting for them and there was a family at home waiting for me. So Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, for me, I've always been one of the mindset that it's a choice. You have the choice to change your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did.
0: There is a book I read, Gary John Bishop called the fuck yourself. And he, he, says something in there that I repeat off to myself. You have the life you're willing to live or you have the life you're willing to tolerate. Yeah. Whatever your problems are, you have the life that you're willing to tolerate. And if you're tolerating it, then you're obviously not willing to change. And if you wanted to change, then you would, but this is
1: exactly right. Right. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that life happens to you and, or excuse me, life happens for you, not to you. So, um, in in my particular circumstance, I had realized that, uh, you know, when I, when I pick a staff sergeant that the, 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 grass on the other side of the fence, uh, was, was not green. It was Brown. And I had an opportunity to water it and make it green and create it however I wanted to. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I started going to school, uh, even though I, I did not finish my degree I'm within a couple of, uh, couple of of classes to to finish that um for me it hasn't been a showstopper in any case you know I was interviewing at uh you know Facebook and and Qualtrics and those types of things when I transitioned out of the Marine Corps um uh ensuring that you have that education uh that's practical it's realistic it's timely it's relevant and uh you know I think those are the types of things that make uh you know the grass on the other side of the fence green.
0: So. so our opening question I think is going to be interesting from you. What does it mean for you to come home? Maybe I would maybe answer this question. How did you come home when you weren't serving, knowing that you were a little bit away than you wanted to like were you intentionally coming home or were you kind of like more mindless back in those days?
1: Uh like when I when I was in the service. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was not home.
0: <laughs> but when you did come home, did you consciously come home and like try to be as close as possible when you were home, or was it more just kind of trying to keep the craziness of work away? And there was,
1: it, I was, I was never really mentally home. Um, I can say that with confidence. I mean, I was so determined to change my circumstances. Uh, it was, you know, weekends I was writing, uh, papers for school and Sundays I would be writing papers for school and Sunday evening I was going to the recruiting office to give a shipping brief to our outgoing recruits. And I was, uh, you know, hitting, hitting the rack when I was, when I was done with that, after spending a little bit of time with the family, um, I would do the best I could, but there was no vacations. There was no time. Um, set aside and and honestly man i was i was not uh, I was not a good father you know i was yeah. not I was not home i wasn 't home, and quite honestly, living in that lifestyle, it was just not even possible for me to do that. There was a reason why I was looking around at some of those fellow people who shared our Uh, same military occupational specialty and they were on their third and fourth and fifth marriage. And they had relationships with their kids that were not great.
0: Um, I've known dads that never actually got to know their kids until they joined the military themselves.
1: Yeah. And that was not uh, the situation I wanted to be in. I met my, my own father when I was 17 and you know, he was not a part of my life growing up and, and uh, you know, my wife uh, you know had some some things on her side of the of the family where she did not have a great relationship um, you know with with her parents and you know since then things have changed uh, significantly but i I wanted to be able to provide the most normal upbringing I could for my kids so that shaped all of these decisions uh, that have brought me you know to where i 'm at today.
0: So I observed my Marine Corps career was in Okinawa and I observed the families and going for Thanksgiving while I was over there with other uh, gunnies and staff sergeant that invite us over and they got to know their families and the the amount of emotional, like just being there with their kids and knowing what they go away with. And when they go away all the time, like I knew very early on, I was like, I'm not going to start a military family, but for, for you, for the dads out there that have started military family, I think we often get stuck on that our service is a noble, noble thing. And we get hung up on that, that we're just going to prioritize this noble thing, that this is more noble than being a dad. But that's just like a credit card debt that you keep borrowing from. And I'm sure when you, even when you first made the decision to to leave, it was still like this weight that you had to, this debt that you probably had to start walking to start paying back. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, You know, it's one of those things that I've I've made a very
1: conscious effort uh, ever since I I got out of the military to make sure that I've been more involved with uh, my oldest two who are now uh, 12 and
0: 11. If you don't Uh, mind sharing, because I imagine there's a pretty good story here. Can you take us to the moment where you decided no more? uh, Was it one moment? Yeah,
1: kind of. I mean, it it was when I was a staff sergeant. I reenlisted and... That was, I think, probably 2010, 2011. And I remember being so upset. I'm like, man, why did I do this? You know, I felt like it was an obligation. Um, It was something that I had to do because, you know, again, going back to that analogy of the grass on the other side of the fence is greener, and I realized it was brown. I had not prepared myself adequately to be able to make a transition where I could provide for my family and, you know, be that person uh, that I wanted to be, um, you know, it was, it was tough. I realized I had to to make a conscious investment in myself. I started going to school full-time, uh, while I was on active duty and on recruiting duty. That was not an easy thing that meant early mornings. I remember going to 6am classes at Utah Valley university and being done by 745 in the morning, And heading over to the recruiting office, I remember leaving the recruiting office at 730 at night, heading back to Utah Valley University, attending evening classes, and getting home at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Sometimes I would drive myself back to the recruiting office, and I would would work on papers, because it was quiet there, I had my own little office, I had a space, I had a computer, and I would just sit in there and I would type papers until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and I wasn't home. But... For me you know that I would I we my wife and I we we started having kids at age uh you know 21 um which I think a lot of enlisted people probably you know could relate uh, mm-hmm. that that's you know
0: seems to be you know a common you barely lived any of, your, of yeah. your life or any of your your early adult life where you get to explore and understand who you are
1: right which i I don't regret any of that because i I learned a lot of things along the way I distinctly remember being so broke that I donated plasma to, to make money and be able to yeah. make ends meet and any kind of gift money that we're, <laughs> we're getting along, along the way as uh, you know, young adults, young married people, we were taking that gift money and cashing the check and turning that money into, you know, payment baby for utilities. Yeah. Utilities, baby formula, you know, what have you. Um, we bought our house at the the peak of, uh, you know the mortgage bubble, um, overpaid by at least twenty twenty five thousand uh, dollars, and we we're upside down in that for a number of years. Uh, but you know, from all of that, I would say that I learned a lot and I grew up very very quickly. Um, and you know, raising two kids, I was uh, you know forced to to man up, yeah. and you know those two children who came uh, back to back. Uh, my son is 14 uh, months uh, apart from my firstborn. Um, they completely shaped me in, into who I am today because they forced me to be irresponsible yep. to, um, you know,
0: make conscious decisions in and aren't every just based aspect. On your selfish own internal reasons that, you have someone else that counts you on you for everything in life. That's exactly right.
1: So um, it was not easy, but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that experience, uh, you know, for for anything because I think it's it's one hundred percent shaped me into who I am today. I, I don't believe that even with all of those hardships and those challenges. I don't think that those were without uh, some kind of greater purpose. And for some of those things that I'm still struggling with to understand, I think those things will become clear later on.
0: Yeah, you can't always make sense of how you can find purpose in something that was hard. But generally, the people with the hardest stories are the ones that have the greater success. Right. Dave Ramsey tells a story when he tells it of the first time he went broke. And I often repeat this to myself that one thing he learned when he was at rock bottom was that there was a bottom and all he yeah. had to do was stand back up and start over. So a lot of times I think we don't often get a lot of times chances in life to hit rock bottom, but it's almost good that we do because we do get that firm reminder. Wow. There is a bottom. All I got to do is get back up and continue breathing and start over again. And right. that's what he did. And then he created the empire that is the Ramsey legacy now. And right. that came from the worst failure of his life. And, and look at how many people he's helped as a result. Yeah, I mean, he's that, like he, story has touched yeah. millions, even my life. I'm debt free now because I found his, his story. So, I mean, with those hardships, I think you have the
1: ability to either take those things and make them, uh, into, you know, roadblocks for, for everything good in your life or you can turn those things around and you can turn them into a positive and, and make a, make an impact and inspire others and you can serve as a lighthouse um, to serve an ex- as an example to to inspire others to become something greater than them, than they are they even thought possible. And what I think that's sim- what's most important.
0: Yeah, one of the simplest things that we talk about on every episode is that the easiest way to a kid's heart is with time. They spell time or they spell love T I M E. Now that you've learned how to come home and you've transitioned, rebuilt your life to come home and be present, what are some of the simplest ways that you use to connect to your kids that they remember the most? That are often the simplest and cheapest and often well, you know, the least complicated.
1: Well, for me, you know, selfishly, I, uh, I've i always made it a priority to tell my kids that I love them. You know, for me, I grew up with my grandparents uh, and I don't remember my grandpa ever telling me, hey, I love you.
0: you know? Same here, I don't ever remember my dad either. Or even and I'm I, proud of you, I don't remember that either. And maybe that's a generational
1: thing. I don't think, you know not saying it meant that but for me just taking time to look at look at my kids in the eye and be like listen i love you brighton you know i'm very proud of you for you know just you being you man you know um i had the opportunity a couple weeks back to go to uh the fifth grade camp with my son brighton and serve as a cabin dad (laughs) (laughs) cabin dad with seven other boys, which was, which is a cool experience. Was that chief
0: storyteller then too? uh, I'm
1: I'm not really sure, but it (laughs) it was good. It was, it was a good experience because you know uh, I think he'll remember that for the rest of his life. Uh, Me going out and kind of hanging out with his buddies and, you know, shuffling them between canoeing and fishing and all these other activities that they did uh, for this fifth grade camp. Um, but one thing that stood out to me and it was, was really impactful. It wasn't necessarily, you know, between, it, it wasn't necessarily around, you know, my son, but it was, it was another young man who was there at this camp and his dad was deployed and he had been deployed, I think for about 10 months. He was, he's still deployed. He's going to be back, I think in May. And, Immediately, you know, like I was wearing my camouflage backpack, uh, you know, it was evident that I had served in the Marines. This kid just kind of like gravitated towards me. And for whatever reason, you know, like anything I said, he was like, yes, sir. You know, I'm not sure if it's like a South thing, you know, I'm like, Hey, we know, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that. And I need you to volunteer for this. Um, you know, and I looked at him and I'm like, Hey man, you know, like if your dad could be here, you know, he would, you know, and I want to let you know that, uh, you know, I am grateful for your dad's service uh, on behalf of our country because he was deployed, you know, he had you know, he didn't have any choice in the, in the matter to not be there, you know, with his son for that fifth grade camp. But for me, you know, as a former Marine or, you know, enlisted guy, Um, I felt good that I could, you know, at least kind of resonate with this, this young man, in addition to my son, you know, of course, and Mm -hmm. the other, the other uh, five kids uh, that were in our cabin and just kind of, you know, uh, share that common ground, I guess, of just kind of being like a military military guy, you know, I can appreciate that, you know, and I think he kind of saw that, you know, I'm a military guy and, Hopefully, that inspired a little bit of hope in him that, hey, at one point in time, soon, hopefully, his dad will be back and be able to spend some time with him.
0: Did you ever think about writing his dad a letter about that experience and what you observed about his son? No, that's a good idea. Because I I would honestly bawl my eyes out if I got a letter from someone describing how my son achieved something or what type of man he was becoming. Like, that would just blow me up and I would hold on to that forever
1: that's a good idea. Maybe I, maybe I should, you know, it wasn't too long ago, so I, I don't think it'd be too late.
0: But. And just like feel, filling in the gaps and like, like, and since you're a fellow military, like he would just like, that's what makes military special is we're, we're, we're always able to fill in the gaps even when we can't be there. And as much as that tugs on his heart that he can't be there, because I'm sure his son talked to him about it when he talked to him over the internet and just getting it from a man's perspective of, Kind of man his sons growing up to be when he can't be there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea, and, and I should definitely do that.
0: Um, what about for your daughters?
1: Uh, well, I've got I've got Our one daughter. Um, you know, I just uh, I just try and uh, do my best with her. You know, I mean, she's very uh, independent. That's just how she was. She came to us. She's very independent. She's <laughs> very very confident. Um, very smart. I mean, she, we bought like a piano and two weeks later, she's playing Bohemian Rhapsody on the piano. Like she's, and she taught herself. I mean, she's, she's brilliant. You know, she plays uh she's violin. Places
0: you can't even imagine yet.
1: I'm like, man, you know, like when I was a kid, I could barely do like geometry and, <laughs> yeah. and here she is, you know, Walk doing a piano. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. She's extremely talented. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just try and try and be there for her the best that I can. You know, I am uh, learning, you know, how to be uh, the father that I need need to be for her. I'm sure I'm imperfect at, at times, you know, that's just being completely honest and, and candid. I'm sure that, uh, you know, sometimes I'm, I've got the
0: bar a little little high. Have you ever read uh, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters? No, I should probably read that. It's been recommended a couple of times in this. And I read it like two years ago before I even, I think I had my third daughter or my second daughter, who's our youngest. Uh, It just blew me away of like the role that dads can play in a daughter's life and like who they go out to seek in the world is what we modeled to them. And, or the, whatever we didn't give them, like just hugging your daughter had, there's a 60% chance less that she'll have sex by the age of 12 because she won't seek that physical touch from the first person that gives it to her because you gave it to her as her dad.
1: Well, I mean, I I think from, from that standpoint, I I think I'm doing okay. I mean, always, you know, telling her that I love her and giving her hugs and,
0: you know, I don't have a confidence problem. So I always struggle to coach her through just being comfortable with who she is and like getting her to recognize that she's enough because she's super hard on herself she doesn't believe she can do it and I think in 2019 and I can only imagine when she's a teenager that women it's just going to exponentially be harder for women to just be okay with who they are in their own body with all the social media and Hollywood that just recognizing that they're beautiful just who they are is something I always reminded them of as well
1: yeah and how old's
0: your daughter uh, My oldest is just turned seven and my youngest is two
1: and a half. Okay. So my, my daughter is uh 12, she's going on 13 this year. And one of the big things that she's been into lately is, you know, she wants to do a YouTube channel. She's been following all these YouTube
0: creators. My daughter's hooked on Jojo. Got it. Yeah. Jojo is everything right now. And, and, bedspread.
1: and I'm kind of caught in between, you know, being a marketing guy. I'm like, yeah, I see there's an opportunity here and this is the way of the future. You know, but at the same time, you know, I'm not sure if you saw Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet. Uh, I did. You know, there's a there's a scene in there where they're like, "Never look at the comments. Don't look at the comments." Um, you know, because that, that can be just like that can wreck you. You know, and especially as a as a young kid, especially on YouTube,
0: even YouTube. Oh my gosh, has the worst comments. I mean, that's true. YouTube. That was a dad, that was an adult joke there. YouTube. There's a podcaster who he goes to the internet just to re- he calls a section of. uh People of the internet is what he calls. Because yeah. he just reads these crazy, freaking comments.
1: So I'm kind of caught in the middle. I'm like, you know, maybe give her the uh, the flexibility to create her own YouTube channel and be able to kind of, you know, tell her story or you know whatever that is. I do believe that there's an opportunity there um, to create a reputation for yourself. I mean, she's smart. She's doing a lot of interesting things. I think people would, by and large, subscribe to her channel. Um, but at the same time, it's like, man, you know, like I know that people are mean
0: and, and they're going to want, usually they're mean when they, yeah. when they see someone having success, Zig Ziglar always said it best. People, uh, sometimes the only taste of success people get is when they take a bite out of yours.
1: Right. And said another way. I mean, misery loves company. <laughs> so yeah. if people are, you know, not happy with their own lives, they're going to inflict that on others and. I'm just not sure I'm quite prepared for that, but can you I turn think, YouTube comments off? I'm never checked. I think, yeah, you, you can do that. But at the same time, you know, that's a, that's a factor in an in, in engagement that kind of helps drive the growth of your channel. So uh, I think it could be a, an opportunity, but at the same time, it's like, well, what are we shielding them from? I mean, you know, the second they turn, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18, I mean, they're going to be on these social media sites anyway whether yeah. it be something you know that exists today or maybe something we've never even heard of and you know it, there's still a social element uh that exists where they can comment and kind of showcase those things and and for that i'm you know very very free. i mean with my own upbringing growing up I mean, i've realized that you know kids are mean and yeah. uh and, and it's hard it's tough but you know As a parent, you don't want your kid to experience that type of pain, but at the same time, it could be.
0: I don't know how to growth opportunity. I don't know if you read this headline. It just came over, I think, this weekend, uh, that there was a study that like there's a thirty percent decrease in the amount of just people having sex these days because of the just the connection to social media. They have no real world connections anymore. That they they just aren't doing it. So then there's these barriers they can't overcome just to make kids and have the continue the population. And it's, it's like, it went from 30% like in just a few years, like it's almost, uh, an epidemic even. So at, at some point, probably within our parenting, we have to like, if she did do a YouTube channel, it'd be make, it would be making sure that there's always the balanced approach and even the authentic approach, like just making sure you're not the Kim Kardashian, where you're completely one version online. If you ever met me in life, it'd be like, Oh, I'm not that person online. Like, right. Or even just having like not, outsourcing, I feel like, and I'm still too early to have this. So this is still, I would say R and D in my head, but part of it, I feel like when you outsource that sociability just to others and likes and an algorithm, like I know from my own experience with this podcast, that I didn't actually believe it was possible until I stepped into the real world and met real people that my podcast was going to impact. And that's not on social media. And I've now got a balanced approach that I have an online presence, but I am also very, keen on making sure i have physical connections because when life gets hard it's the physical ones that are going to get you through it nobody online is going to be able to hold your hand right they can help and they'll get you places but at the end of the day it's the the human connections that you make like i even like social media 10 years ago was the next big thing like i'm big on people to people is really the next big thing human connection will be the next revolution or not revolution but we'll go back to the old way of just connecting people to people and understanding their story Um, and social media will get there. It'll get you there faster for likability, but the human connections I think are important. So some probably in in somehow we teach our kids through social media is that balanced and authentic and, but I have no idea how to all do that. That's just things I'm thinking about my head of what I have to keep in my mind is.
1: Well, uh, I'll tell you, Ben, there's not a whole lot of people who are being authentic and kind of showcasing, you know, things of them. Or even like things like you're you're doing right now with your podcast or the things that I've done with, with my podcast in the past, or just kind of putting it all out there. You know, I've always been a firm believer in in uh you know building a personal brand, showcasing who you are, what you represent, and you know, under under this philosophy of, you know, your vibe will attract your tribe, you know, and you're gonna repel these people that have no desire to connect with somebody like you because, you know, they're just not interested in who you are or what you represent. Um, but at the same time, you're gonna attract those types of opportunities and those types of people who can add value. And I'll tell you, i you know, from my own experience using social media and kind of just putting myself out there, I'm not sure what your initial perception is or has been with kind of what I've put out there, but we've never met in person. I've always been a firm believer. Like, Hey, I'm just going to be who I am. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to share articles that, you know, are of interest to me and that align with who I am as a person. I'm going to showcase, you know, these, uh, you know, authentic moments. Uh, you know, you mentioned that I was, uh, earlier before we started this podcast that I was feeding my son some noodles. Uh, we went over to the Pearl, um, brewery, uh, earlier today and they've got a nice little, um, uh, little, uh, place where you can get uh, what is that stuff called um uh some some noodles uh, i don't know what they're ramen called. noodles ramen noodles yes thank you ramen they didn't ramen. look like ramen noodles yeah, it, was, it was some bougie ramen so it was really good really good ramen um and uh, i was feeding my son ramen noodles it was the funniest thing but the, you know those types of micro moments that you're showcasing that are just you and the authentic you
0: that's where you're like your frequencies are starting to vibe and like we're you start to recognize like Dan's kind of just like me or that there's like, God uh, yeah, we've got some commonality, maybe even set similar sense of humor. It's like flirting a little bit. I've, I've heard it described that where you're just kind of like say, checking each other out, figuring out if there's something there, but those connections are, it's the overall piece of the pie, not like the one article, but it's what you share in between. It's the, the whole thing that becomes what you're talking about for that personal brand.
1: Right. And and, you know, I'm not sure how you vet people for a podcast, but you know, I would say looking at your podcast and the people that you've had on it, I'm probably aligned with that avatar. It's very unserious. I really
0: just do a quick Facebook scroll to make sure they're not sure (laughs) political posts they can on their, on their Facebook feed. And as long as they're not crazy or appear to be crazy, or at least I've had some connection. I don't think I've done any like random stranger. I guess I did two random strangers maybe. Um, but so far it's been, it's worked out pretty good for me. Somehow my gut feeling of being online for a while, I've got a good vibe for whether people are growth minded or whether they're fixed minded and right. the world to fix it for them. So I think, you know, just putting
1: it out there, you know, not being afraid. And I think, you know, from a, uh, a parent perspective, I'm going to encourage my kids to do that when then when they get to that point and to help them understand that if, you know, people don't agree with them or, they don't jive with them, you know, they're not missing out on anything. You know, that's, it's just, I heard it said that
0: learning what you stand against is more powerful than learning what you stand for. So when the world does come back and you quickly figure out, yeah, I'm not that guy. Right. And you're, and that can help you realign to even your own self.
1: Right. And I think that's healthy, you know, just being you, you should, match who you are offline as you are online i think you know by and large i think the population uh is comfortable representing themselves in a different way online and they're vastly different
0: offline oh yes i would say that they'll say online that they'll never say in their in in person yeah it's like who is this person like i
1: (laughs) who is this you meet them in person you're like man I, I'm really unsure who this, this person is. You know, and then you don't trust
0: them, which is yeah. something very important in business. And when you don't trust someone, like I'm real big, if I have any idea that you're having a gender or that you're having some blind side that you're trying to hide from me, like that's when I cross you off the list.
1: Right. So... I think with that, there's also an opportunity. There's always a silver line there. There's always an opportunity. When you can represent yourself authentically, you're going to attract the types of opportunities which will be conducive to your goals, especially if you've identified exactly what those goals are and where you want to go and what you want to accomplish.
0: So, so you've kind of had a mixed uh, life as a dad. You've had one where you were always at work. Now you're you're completely rewiring your life to be always at home. When your kids are standing around at a bar talking to their friends, what do you hope they say about you?
1: You know, I just, I, I hope they uh, see me as an example of somebody who's made it work, you know, no matter, no matter what, you know, I'm, I mean, I came from the unlisted side of the Marine Corps. I could tell you how many people I talked to upon my, uh, during my transition that told me, Hey, you need this credential or that credential or you need this experience or that experience And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, that's true. And I want to be that example for my kids because the world tells them they go to school, they're conditioned that they need to learn this skill or that skill or this have this credential to be able to achieve their dreams. And that's just not true. I mean, how many people- That learning
0: happens in a straight line almost- Right. I mean,
1: how many people do you know that have credentials or have degrees that are doing something completely different from that credential or that degree? It's like, boom, I rest my case. Everybody knows probably 80% of their sphere of influence that is doing exactly that. Some they went. They spent forty to sixty to eighty thousand dollars on an education. They put themselves massively into debt. They set themselves back, and they're working in a career or an industry that doesn't even require that, or it's completely on the other end of the spectrum of what they studied and learned.
0: And you forgot two important parts because I I uh, classify that as the modern American dream that. You took on the debt, you have a car payment, you probably got married and have kids, and now you have a job you don't like, and now you have debt and you have kids to feed, so you continue down that road to misery and i've one of the reasons why I was very passionate to get rid of our debt was because I want choices I want to hold the entire deck of hands in my in my, the deck of cards in my hands and when you create that mindset and then get trapped, you don't the bank has your cards, and so right. that's for me like that was one of the parts and it's, it's frustrating because so many people are going down that road and I don't think it's going to, it's not turning anything. If anything, people are just getting slower than millennials aren't buying houses. They aren't starting families. Now we're learning. They're not having sex anymore. Like there's the divide is that we haven't reached the pinnacle of break even yet right. where we start to change the, the pendulum. But I, I, I completely agree with you there. The, one of the questions I, I, this question was born from was a friend worded it as whenever you're a dad you can get caught up and judge yourself on maybe when you yelled to your kid, maybe you didn't handle a situation, but you really got to frame it. Like what's going to really matter when they're talking to their friends at a bar when they're 30, like what things are you doing that are going to move that needle of that conversation? Cause that's really where the legacy picks into. And all of the things that really matter are leading into what do they look back on your life and think about, they are not going to think about that time. And the, like adults hold on to things for days. Kids hold on to things for five minutes. If that, sometimes you can yell at them and they can get super, they can be kicking you. And literally two minutes later, it's like they never happened. They wish you could go play trains.
1: And I think the other thing too is like just having the mindset that you're not trading uh, time for money. You know, that's just the biggest fallacy on the planet. Your compensation that you can earn within the marketplace is a direct tie to your ability to add value. And that's it. Whether it takes you five minutes or if it takes you 500 hours, you you will be compensated based off of your ability to add value to the marketplace. Plain and simple, bottom line up front. Um, And I think our society conditions you to feel like you need to work hard or you need to work in a role that is unpleasant, um, where you're not having fun. And yeah. I think, you know, based off of my limited amount of work experience in the corporate world, I've seen a number of people who whose expectation is that work shouldn't be fun. When you go to work, it shouldn't be fun. It should be uh, very serious. It should be very, uh, you know, uh st- stodgy and, uh, you know, and if you're having fun, you're wrong. And what's wrong with you? If you're having fun.
0: Millennials yeah. always get a bad rap because we want to have fun or like somehow we feel entitled to have fun, but it's not really an entitlement. It's, we have just recentered our, our living and our purpose around being happy and being more tuned into what we were actually put on this earth to do versus, wherever, whatever crack in the corporate world we ever landed into and saying that crack, like that's just not how we think anymore.
1: And I think there's a difference between fun and messing around. There's a clear difference, but you can have fun, work hard and create something of value and deliver to the marketplace and enjoy what you do. There's nothing wrong with that. However, I think you know, society has conditioned us, you know, to, uh, you know, slam the nine to five to say, you know, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. You know, Oh, somebody has got a case of the Mondays. And
0: like people are like, Oh, it's Friday. It's another week or it's over or it's Monday. It was weekend was too short. I'm just like, life's too short. Figure out something that makes you happy.
1: Right. So I hope my kids look at me and they're like, you know, Dad enjoyed what he did work was something that it was an integration into life and he figured out ways to scale time and I can do that too because I don't want my kids to feel like they are prisoners of any circumstance because the reality is there are 24 hours in a day and everybody has 24 yeah, the hours the
0: same in amount a day. of hours as
1: Warren Buffett. Exactly. Exactly. You couldn't have said it better. And Warren Buffett is obviously crushing it. He does not trade trade his time for any kind of money.
0: And he reads like money. six hours of those days. So he's not even right. like pounding through emails for 10 of those. It's He is continuing to learn and just add to his own value, but then also right. just become more wiser in the value that he gives to the world.
1: Right. And I think, you know, just... Being that example for my kids, um, I hope that is, is my legacy. I don't want them to go in two roles when they're in their 30s and they have children and a family and, and feel like they are a victim. You know, that that is just, you know, how many times have you heard people say, you know, well, this is just the way it is. And that's just garbage. It's just not true.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just when you choose to accept that it's the way it is. It you, is the way it is until you choose no longer to accept it. We all have a choice. And, you know,
1: if you're not enjoying what you do, move. You're not a tree, you know, <laughs> move, do something else. And I think that's the, the most powerful lesson here is you can do those things that you enjoy, you know, and I think there are things that you can do that you're good at. And there are things that you can do that you're passionate about, and if you can find a mix of something that's in between, then that's good. Where you out of 30 days of the month, you're happy with 27 of them, and there's three that, days that probably suck pretty bad because it's just,
0: you know, conditions so you're filing the taxes yeah. or keeping track of your expenses so that way you're, you're, you can file your taxes correctly.
1: I mean, if you're using your strengths, 90. 5% of the time, I think you're in a pretty good spot. It's when you're in a role where you're not exercising your strengths, even 20% of the time, you're just kind of there to, to earn money. You're trading time for money. And that's, that's not real. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not a, uh, I mean, I'm sure it feels very real for the people who are in those circumstances, but it's, it's a, it's a choice. And there are other opportunities out there. And you know, if you don't like it, move. And I, I hope that through my actions and my example, my kids see that, and they will emulate that for themselves in their own life, and they will be happy and feel fulfilled in whatever it is they choose to do.
0: That, so I was me, a-
1: that's success. That's success for me.
0: We were talking on the podcast I was recording earlier this morning about that the shift of legacy of your service might actually be something that veterans aren't framing correctly that I think we spend so much time as a veteran trying to make sense of our service. Just why did my friend die? Why did this have to happen? Why did that have to happen? But really it's all in the past. We never actually shift to a future focused legacy like what you're talking about, where you really start to frame what you want to be remembered for, what you want your kids to think about you. How intentionally are you with the time that, I think this is one of the things we start to dive into more in the podcast of framing your legacy correctly. Cause I believe it's it's like a, a it's it's as simple as a light switch, but I think until you recognize that your service is over, it was a four-year legacy and it's a bunch of stories, but your legacy of your kids, your family, that's seeds in a garden that you never get to actually see grow. And that's where to me, like the the purpose comes back that you lost after serving. Like there's a purpose in making sure your legacy is where you want it to be in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would agree with that sentiment. So I can imagine based on what you were talking about, that coming home to your marriage was a little bit of a struggle. What advice would you give out there for other dads looking to come home to the marriage? Man,
1: to be honest with you, it wasn't really a struggle because I, I think my wife's my, my best friend and uh, you know, I feel that, you know, I'm her best friend. So really it was just, we really enjoyed being with each other. Uh, and you all weren't able
0: to in the beginning. Yeah,
1: man. It was like, uh, you know, it was, it was like torture, man. I'd be at the, uh, you know, the recruiting office or, uh, traveling on business. I think my, my last, uh, my last duty station, I was the social media director for the recruiting command and I traveled like three weeks out of the month. It was really great. That was, it was, awesome. It was great for points, you know, (laughs) and and we ended up using those points and using those hotel uh, rewards to, you know, go to Disneyland as a family, which was kind of cool. It's kind of fun. Um, But I spent a lot of time away from home and away from my wife. And that was that did uh, it did it did come with some some challenges, you know, like it, it was just we'd have to reacquaint ourselves after I'd be, you know, gone for a week and it it, quite honestly just kind of sucked so in my new life i'll call it you know i've designed a life where i don't travel mindlessly or you know without clear purpose Mm -hmm. and that has been a great thing for our marriage you know being able to spend time with one another and be there. Cause I I think not being there for the kids in those moments that mattered most, you know, whether it be, you know, like the, the donuts and dads event at school when my kids, you know, like one of three that doesn't have a dad there or whatever those things like, okay. You understand that, you know, Dan is away on, you know, doing military duties, but I think, there's kind of like this unconscious bias that kind of took over. It's like, well, he's not there, you know, and I'd come back and it was like, I was she, was, she was, you know, upset at me. Yeah. And, and that was tough, you know, and we'd have to deal, deal with it. And it, and it caused, uh, you know, some, some friction. Um, but I can tell you, you know, just making the decision and knowing exactly what I'm look, what I was looking for, what we were looking for as a family to engineer our life, understanding what we wanted the day-to-day to to be, and then seeking that out and making that a reality made all the difference in changing those circumstances. So that was temporary. So for you, You it was
0: really just signaling to your wife that you're, that, that there's the wind's changing a little bit like Mary Poppins where the wind starts changing That just making, making sure you're clear on your decision and just making it known that I'm now choosing you to come home to.
1: Right. And, you know, getting out of the military uh, and saying, Hey, I'm, this is something I'm going to, I mean, she was, you know, she would approach me late at night when I was ready for bed. I'm (laughs) not sure why it is, but spouses like to talk when you're getting ready to close your eyes and go to sleep. She's like, you know, I'm really unsure of why you're getting out of the Marine Corps. You know, like the Marine Corps has been very good to us. You know, it's very secure. You just have seven more years to go before retirement. And I'm like, I, I can't deal with this right now. Like I am so laser focused on an outcome of getting out and getting into a new role where I can have freedom and flexibility to, you know, be the man that I want to be. Who I know you need me to be. Um, you know, it was uh, it was tough at times
0: to kind of. Women, <laughs> women have that uh, the human essential needs for certainty in their life, and the military provides a high level of certainty. Oh, it
1: sure does. Every yes, part does. of
0: uh, transitioning is uncertain: of where you're going to land, will it be a long-term career? Will it be short-term? Will you get a job right away? Does he have but, what it takes to survive on the outside?
1: But isn't that just life, though? I mean, you're always for, it, yeah, you're in a – It is. I mean, you're in a role for – you're in a role for three years. You know, like, for example, I've been at, at USAA for about two and a half. I'm moving into a new role now. I, that's a transition. you know. I went from the Marine Corps to USAA. There was uncertainty there. It was uncomfortable. It was different. There was a learning curve.
0: I think just talking about it, it's like the, if you don't acknowledge it, then it just becomes the elephant in the room that's Mm -hmm. just there and you never know what to deal with. But I think just listening, understanding and just getting, having a curiosity sometimes is also where I've taken the approach where to approach something instead of trying to judge it and to give my own opinion, just to explore the curiosity of it, of where the other person's coming from. Yeah. Absolutely. What is a resource or a book that you would recommend to other military veteran dads?
1: Uh, you know, something that I found very interesting was uh, The War of Arts. And that's a, a book by Stephen Pressfield. And basically, uh, the premise of the book is anytime you hear something you know like you want to do something and then you hear that other voice in your mind that tells you to procrastinate or put it off or not do it or whatever that is the adversary stepping into your life and preventing you from becoming the person you need to become to feel fulfilled yeah to feel alive
0: to feel purpose in your life again after serving and
1: ironically pressfield was a marine so it's a good book. You should check it out for sure.
0: I haven't yeah. read it, but I've heard it a couple mentioned a couple times, and uh, so it's going to be winking my way up the list of. Yeah, the audiobook's top notch. Definitely uh, worth a listen. That's good. I Nothing. Nothing worse when I hate a bad audiobook. especially if it's a good book that I'd like. God, I got to listen to this book because then I'll muscle through it. But Thinking Grow Rich was one of those books where I know this book has value. I just need to get through it. But God, this voice guy's voice is so bad.
1: Yeah, Thinking Grow Rich is pretty pretty slow, but it's a good book. I definitely definitely uh I I actually read that one when I was when I was 20 and that drastically changed changed my trajectory as well. I just re-engineered the way I thought about life and everything, you know. And yeah, you, you've got this you know, I I guess you haven't read it all the way through, but it, it's definitely worth worthwhile uh if you get the time to do it. Maybe get the condensed version, like the tie Lopez version or whatever. <laughs> I, know. I, I know yes yeah, like those those condensed audiobooks so you can read uh you know a 5 hour audiobook in about 15 minutes or something maybe maybe it's good. I'm not I'm not sure. This is not a paid endorsement for Ty Lopez just to be clear. It's
0: probably just the social media F- Facebook ads that are coming right. in you from Ty Lopez. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. What is the parting piece of advice you want to leave for military veteran dads? Um okay, so the biggest thing that
1: I and, you know, I, I wouldn't call it advice, but a suggestion is you are not chained to any one decision with, when it comes to your career. And even within your career, you have the ability to shape who it is you want to become, where you want to go, but you've got to have the conversation with people, with leaders, and help them understand what your goals are. And if you can do that, I think... You know, you'll find that most people are pretty darn supportive of whatever it is you want to do. If you're like, hey, listen, I want to stay in Norfolk, Virginia, or I want to stay in San Diego, California, you know, by and large, I think most leaders will help you do that to enable whatever goals you want to achieve, but you need to have a clear, concise goal of whatever that is. Um, I think from a quality of life perspective, I think it, you know, unless you're living in a terrible place from a you know, a a parenting fatherhood, you know, point of view. Uh, Maybe you do want to move, but having, you know, a business case to kind of go with whatever it is that you're, you're suggesting to those, those leaders. For me, that worked really well. Uh, You know, having a conversation with my commanding officer when I was in San Diego, I'm like, listen, you know, I'm getting ready to get out uh And he said, "Hey, if you extend for another year and kind of stay with me along this journey, you know I'll give you your own office. I will you know pay for a conference you can go to this marketing conference, and as a result, I was able to better position myself for an exit out of the Marine Corps. I spoke at a, a major marketing conference uh- in that last year went to the Uh, the marketing conference in San Diego met a lot of great people who were able to open some doors for me. And I was able to better position myself um, for a transition out of the Marine Corps versus just getting out at, you know, without that extra year and falling flat on my face. But I had to communicate those things and be vulnerable and be like, listen, you know, I'm really not enjoying what I'm doing right now. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, how can you help me? And, you know, you'd be surprised, you know, the Colonel was more than willing to help me uh, get to where I wanted to go, but I I had to be vulnerable in order to, you know.
0: Yeah. And and we, and just as in general, as a society, we suck at having open and vulnerable conversations because everybody likes to pretend they have it together. And these conversations require you to showing that you don't have it together and you have fears in your life and people just generally are okay with helping other people. Like, it's they're going to err on helping people there's people that are going to be assholes and but they're far and few between and as long as you just open up and at least you're always going to get a no if you don't open up so it's super important just to have a simple even launching this podcast so much of this just came from talking about my goals people connected me and now it's people just keep connecting because i continue to talk about the problems i'm having and they're like oh yeah you should talk to this guy and
1: yeah you're, you're not wrong I mean, it's, it's like, not that Chances are, like, especially when you're talking with senior military leaders, you're not the first person to say these things. You know, (laughs) they're probably like, listen, thank you for telling me. I'm happy to help, you know, because they want to keep good talent, they want to keep good people, they want to help you. You know, it's kind of if you don't ask, you're never going to receive. So be vulnerable, throw it out there, see what happens, Um, engineer the life that you want engineer the career that you want I think it's absolutely doable you know because at the end of the day like your family matters and if you can request little things that drastically increase that quality of life then what's the harm
0: yeah you're just gonna be worse they're gonna say no is no and you're gonna be right back to where you were which is where you're gonna be if you don't ask at all so it's exactly right you ever follow any of the stoics I haven't no the one thing, and I'm not an avid Stoic reader, but like I've dived into it a couple times. Like they'll say a thought that there's no way you could tell whether it was in 2000 BC or 2019, and it reminds me that for almost 4,000 years, people have had the same debilitating, self-limiting beliefs of thought. And no thought that you're having is the first time you're having that thought. Thousands of humans before us have come. It's just we got to keep talking because only when you keep talking, you'll find someone. That's walked that problem and be like, Oh yeah, I have solved that two years ago. You do X, Y, and Z and yeah. Bob's your uncle.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. You just gotta just be you, be your authentic self. Ask the question, you know, if it causes you to get emotional while you're doing it, so be it.
0: And <laughs> it builds you up to not be alone on the other side. Cause that's usually what eats most veterans alive is they don't talk to people. So then they just become the, just lonely person that doesn't have that same tribe and, they keep it's hearing these demons in their head that keep talking that their life isn't worth living. And then they eventually figure out and decide to kill themselves. And it's sad, yeah. but it begins with just talking like that's the first step to try to, to come home. It, to me, that I keep repeating a lot is you just killing that belief that you're not alone is the first step. Yeah. And I can start well, well before and you can even just nice build a nice, good landing pad on the other side of that transition. Sure. I love that advice. Well, Dan, I love this episode. It's going to be good stuff. We went into areas we haven't. We never talked about social media before. I wasn't planning on it. I never connected that you're the social media guy, but I like that conversation. And I know we probably prodded a little, anybody that has teenagers, I'm sure we had a few nerves with our conversation today. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Is there any best place to connect with you, Dan, if people want to connect with you?
1: Well, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, shoot me a note. I have a website, danevansonline.com. Uh, you can you can find me there, but best place is probably uh, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn.
0: All right. Now include all of your social handles in our show notes for any of the listeners that want to connect you quickly. Cool. Well, Dan, you enjoy your night, and again, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Ben. That's a wrap, and thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.